Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. What an end to the 2021 football season, huh, people? I guess now I can officially say Happy New Year. Now that football season is officially over, it is 2022. And so, you can kick off 2022 by heading over to Bet Online today to continue betting on basketball, hockey, some MMA, and the big dance being right around the corner. Use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up today. Bet online, where the game starts. What's going on? What's going on, Mr. Blake Jude? How are you doing? Still recovering, but I'm doing pretty all right, to be honest. <laughs> See, yeah, this is uh, this is something that I was thinking about. Is we could we make it the entire podcast without mentioning the Super Bowl? Is it possible that we could make it the entire length without mentioning Ooh. anything about the Super Bowl? <laughs> Probably not, but I could try. <laughs> it depends how emotionally distraught you are about how that goes, uh, how much you emotionally invested in the game. I mean, I'm emotionally invested, but I'm not like, I wasn't like crying or anything. You know what I mean? I I, I could still talk about the game without getting super mad. <laughs> but without super I, mad. With, well, I mean, I could get mad by pointing out that the Cincinnati Bengals were about to go up 24-13 with three minutes into yeah. the second half and did not score a single point after the, the Aaron Donald sack on third down inside the red zone. Yes, we could start off there and say that you won't get that mad. Yeah, it, it just got so much worse from there on. And I mean, it, it was still a really fun Super Bowl, amazing halftime show. I had a lot of fun. Um, but of course, it, it was heartbreaking. At least I got, I got to enjoy the majority of it, right? Because I didn't want to have to turn off the TV. <laughs> yeah, bad, no, no need to be sad. Be happy that it happened. Be happy that the Bengals oh, yeah, were sure. in the Super Bowl because it may never happen again. Don't say that. That's, that's terrible. Hey, you never know. This is the Bengals we're talking. Uh, Mike Brown's kind of old now, but this is still the Bengals we're talking about. Fair enough. Uh, I have high hopes that we'll be at, we'll be back one day, uh, hopefully. So we'll, we'll see. But uh, either way, it's I'm looking forward to the off season. It's going to be a very fun off season, uh, and at least I get to uh, maybe we maybe get to see the Bengals be a little bit more aggressive had they not since they didn't win the Super Bowl. I think it's probably going to be the case, especially after the offensive line blunder that happened. Um, we'll have to see what happens, of course. But I'm looking forward to free agency and the draft. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And also, uh, recent news I just uh, today actually just bought Bengals season tickets for next year. So really wow! That as well. Look at yeah. you making moves for the for your football team. How about that? Yeah, yeah I'm gonna be reporting live from Paul Brown eight times a year. They need. They really do need a sponsor for that. They they really need a sponsor for that stadium. <laughs> the fact they still call it Paul. That's got to be the only one that doesn't have a naming rights deal. It's got to be the only stadium that doesn't have a naming rights deal. Probably, but the Brown family is way too stubborn. You know, they they want to they want to honor Paul Brown, and I respect it. Uh, I mean, do like what after. the Broncos do, where it's like Empower Field at Mile High or whatever it is, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it would make sense. I, I know there's a lot of people who like sponsor the team on the side, but there's no like main sponsor, right? It's a bunch of smaller 
uh, smaller sponsors. I mean, uh, you know, even even the Reds have their own sponsor. They're Great American, of course, which is a bank company. Uh, but uh, we, we don't I don't think the Bengals have anything like that. Um, you know, they have Gold Star. I know sponsors them. Uh, the Chili Place. There's a couple of other like places that's more local that sponsors them, of course. Nothing like too major that's going to, you know, pay for the rights to have the stadium be the name or anything. And honestly, I bet that probably is a big reason why the stadium isn't as nice as what it usually is. But if they had more money to put into the stadium, they would have by now and it would have been a lot nicer. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not like it isn't an NFL stadium. Like, I feel like even national sponsors would want to sponsor NFL stadiums. Like, it just it seems like someone would want the opera. I mean, stadium naming sponsorships usually never work out that well, but I feel like someone would want to throw their money at naming an NFL stadium. Yeah, I mean, it, it would make a lot of sense. I guess it just depends on how much money they throw at them. Uh, and I'm not too sure how active the Bengals are. I don't know if you have to look for one or people are just going to offer you and you have to accept or decline or, or how it exactly works. But my, what I would imagine is Cincinnati is probably looking for an ex- absurdly high deal if they want to actually change the name of Paul Brown. Uh, something that I think would actually like be impactful, at least to the stadium. Now, I will say if Mike Brown were to pass away in the next several years, uh, which, you know, he's a very old man. I'm not saying <laughs> that I want him to. I'm just saying that it, it's, it's possible that happens. Uh, the the daughter of him, Kitty Blackburn, will probably take ownership over the team. Um, and I, I would assume that it is very possible that she would possibly change the name because I do know that the new regime is a lot younger, um, of course, and, and a lot more progressive in, in the ways they're treating the team in terms of you know getting new uniforms a lot more often, having a much better <laughs> social media team, things like I mean, that. not you know, reusing really jock straps because that was a story I heard <laughs> last week is that Bengals were once reusing jock straps, according to TJ Hootsmanzada. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they were they were cheap, right? And and I think now we're starting to see at least the the, the younger members of the family a lot more uh, willing to spend more money on things to help accommodate the players, the coaches, and the fans as a whole. Uh, it's, it's getting better. It's getting a lot better. And, and I'm noticing that mainly due to the work Elizabeth Blackburn and Katie Blackburn. Uh, Elizabeth's one I was talking about uh, that would be taking over ownership of the team. Uh, they are very, very good. I'm, uh, I'm very happy with the work they both those two have done the, the last couple of seasons for sure. And I think that, you know, if they're able, when they're, when they eventually take ownership of the team, I do think uh, things will continue to get better. Maybe get an indoor facility, maybe we get a better stadium. Uh, I think something will come along those lines later on. All right, that's enough Bengals talk for now. We don't have to. We don't have to torment you with Bengals talk at this point. This is, this is your next season, which is the draft season. It's finally here. We can finally talk about the NFL draft. <laughs> is, it, is it sad to say I'm actually almost just as excited for this as I was the Bengals season? No, I mean everyone puts their emotional investments in different places, and you very clearly invest a lot in the NFL draft. So. I don't think there's any shame behind that one. You you invest a lot in the NFL draft. There's no shame in that. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I put a lot of work uh, into the NFL draft, especially more recently. Uh, of course, this last week, I have put a lot more effort into NFL draft work. Uh, and uh, you know, I was uh, I mean, we, we missed a lot. You know, we're talking about all the super, but, but the you know Super Bowl and everything like that. We've already had the Senior Bowl this year, which is a big NFL draft event that a lot of people go to care about they had the east west shrine bowl as well which is another pretty big uh you know it's not really a big one but it is a i mean there are a couple of like later on draft picks will be going to that and going to those games uh, i was able to catch both pretty much watch all the practices and uh, games from both sides uh and uh yeah i mean there's still a lot more guys at the scout not nearly as far uh, as i was uh you know at the end of last year of course but 
hopefully uh, I'll be able to grind more out uh, now that you know I'm actually in the off season to be able to actually release a lot more grades and stuff. Yeah, of course. It'll all come together slowly but steadily with a uh, with a wonderful culmination of the NFL draft and lots of mock drafts in between. We'll have lots of mock drafts Ooh. and other NFL draft content here on the Take It Easy podcast and Stripe Hype Scouting, which you can check out on Instagram with the link in the description to this episode. I'm very good at weaving in the shameless plugs for all of the cool stuff that you're doing. Um, my first question is, why should people trade down in the NFL draft this year? In terms of strength of the draft, uh, you're going to get the best prospects in this draft, I would say, in late round one, maybe mid round one, uh, honestly. They're, in terms of top in talents, this is one of the poorer drafts we've seen in years. Uh, I mentioned, I think I did like a little sneak peek about this a couple of, year, uh, of weeks back. I said that my number one overall prospect in this class, who, uh, you know, we might not know the name today, I'm not too sure, uh, would be my number five overall player in last year's draft so just imagine uh you know just imagine the number one overall guy being barely i I would say barely a blue chip player at all and i had three blue chip players last year uh so it's a big difference it's a big difference we don't have a jamar chase kyle pitts uh you know a trevor lawrence those would all be number one overall prospects in this class if i had a according to my grading book they would all be number one and by a pretty sizable margin as well number one overall prospects only a 97.5 which is the lowest it's been ever in in scouting uh in the nfl draft i've never had someone that low um but i do think there are some good prospects available i just personally think you could find a lot more value trading down and getting a lot more picks in round one later round one maybe round two three four five i think there's a lot better options there to get maybe more you know, reasonable talent. I think in terms of, in terms of the talent pool in this year's draft, it is a lot more close together than what it's been in the past. Well, that's interesting because that creates a lot of different possibilities because the teams at the top of the draft are the giants, the jets, the Jaguars, the Texans all need just every position across the board. Like there's a lot of teams that are really bad right now in the NFL. So I feel like that's going to make things more interesting at the top. Is it interesting for, I don't know, say you who does this draft scouting thing to put together different options or is it easier to like streamline picks where you're like, okay, I know how good this is. We know who we can fill in here. Obviously we've done mock drafts for all these years and some of that stuff gets streamlined, but is it weird when you can kind of find so many different possible scenarios and it's also early out from the draft. So eventually stuff will leak in. Yeah, I mean, a lot's going to change from here on. I mean, of course, the free agency is going to be a, a huge factor in what happens, right? I mean, there's a lot of team needs out there. It's going to change a lot more uh, after next month, uh, and we're going to see completely different things. So right now, for sure, yeah, I've had a lot of different drafts, a lot of unique drafts. You know, uh, there are rumors that play, uh, the teams like this certain player, but – you know, if they are able to get someone that's better in free agency, all of a sudden they have a different need, right? They're looking to maybe trade down, trade up, maybe take a different prospect. Uh, a lot of things can change. So as of right now, yes, I, I like to be unique. I like to change things up. I've released a couple of mock drafts already on my scouting page. They were a lot more different than what normally they, they've normally been in the past. Um, I think the last one, last time I dropped one has been about a month ago because of the Bengals and everything like that. I was so caught up and everything. But uh, it, this next mock draft that I will be releasing in the future is going to be a lot different from that. It's going to be unique. It's going to be different because 
frankly, I don't know what's going to happen yet, right? Obviously, so much is going to change from here on out. Uh, like I said, I, I have heard a couple of rumors about different NFL draft stuff, a lot of Steelers stuff that's been floating around, a lot of Panthers stuff that's been floating around about NFL draft, uh, about who they like and who they want to take. Um, but as of right now, if they sign someone, if they are able to draft a, a different player that's available in that round, anything can change. Anything's possible. And we don't even know who the number one overall prospect is according to consensus yet. There's still a lot of rumors. There's three different guys I've seen go back and forth from number one overall pick to you know a top three guy. So uh, definitely a big argument to be made for all these picks and a lot can change from here on out you've teased this for many weeks and so now that we are officially in the offseason i must ask you even though i think i know the answer who are the three prospects near the top who could all be the number one pick in the nfl draft i think i know who they are but let's see who you have yeah, so the top three guys I think could be the number one overall pick are not my top three graded but they are part of, i believe my top four uh, I want to say, I'm going to make sure real quick because I have a long list of guys. Um, top five. They're in the top five. So all three guys in the top five, but not in the top three. Uh, my number one overall prospect and the guy I think that should go number one overall in my eyes is Kayvon Thibodeau, the edge rusher from Oregon, a guy that I am, have been a huge fan of for such a long time. He really dominated his early on in his career, sophomore, freshman year. Uh, and I was really impressed. I, think, I thought this guy was going to be the number one overall pick for a long time. Um, and he came in this season, he had some injury problems this year, which didn't really help his case a lot. I think it's why a, a lot of arguments are happening that he's going to drop a little bit. But in terms of raw athletic ability, what he's already done in college football now, uh, and, and looking at, you know, I think the fact that a lot of people argue that he's not as polished as the regular edge rusher, uh, like another guy I'll be talking about a little bit later. But I do really think that he has enough polished in his game to where he can come in year one and be very, very effective. Um, he is not going to be your Chase Young. He's not that good of a prospect just yet. But if we're talking about the next best guy out there, I don't know a great example. I think the first thing that pops in my mind is like a Joey Bosa type. I think he could be like a Joey Bosa in this NFL draft. Now, they're completely different prospects. Nothing similar about them at all, really, uh, in terms of athletic ability, technique. They're a lot different. But in terms of the value you're getting for that prospect, you're going to get someone I think has Joey Bosa type uh, impact on your team at the edge rusher position, which is a big game. I mean, that's a star, right? It's a star. He's not a superstar, but it's a star. And I really like Kevon Thibodeau. I think he should be the first overall pick in this draft. Now, I think what the biggest consensus has been at this point now is actually a completely different position altogether. That is Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Alabama, who's a very popular pick as well. It's the Jaguars pick number one overall. Uh, I think a lot of people know the Jaguars have a huge needed tackle. They need to protect Trevor Lawrence. It's been pretty obvious. Um, and I would say Evan Neal is, I think, the highest potential player in this draft class. I think Evan Neal can be one of the best tackles in the league at the next level. Uh, my biggest issue with Evan Neal is he is a very raw prospect and a guy that I just am not too sure he can come out as quickly as others. Um, I, I do think there is a lot to his game that is very impressive. He's a mammoth of a man and will destroy you if he gets his hands on you. But I do think he is liable to get beat by speed rushers off the edge quite a bit. It does worry me a little bit in terms of his technique and his footwork being able to, uh, you know, often if a player's able to get around him pretty quickly, he's not going to be able to get his arms around to be able to grab you and, push and then basically take you out of the, of the, uh, of the play. So I do think there are a couple of, of edge rushers at the next level that can really take advantage of him if need be. Uh, and he's not the dominant type like Tene Sewell is in where he's so fast and so agile where he can get to you wherever you're at and just take you down. 
Uh, Panay Sewell had that ability. That's why I was so high on Panay Sewell for such a long time. Evan Neal does not have that. I do think Panay Sewell is a far better prospect than Evan Neal. Evan Neal is actually my prospect number five overall in this draft class. I actually have another tackle that's ahead of him in this class, but I do think his potential makes him to possibly out there to be in a more overall pick because I do think the Jaguars see the raw potential he has and think, hey, this is a guy that can definitely be an all-star level player at the next level. Last guy is a guy that I think has another, been another pretty popular consensus and a guy that almost won Heisman somehow, and that was Aiden Hutchinson, the edge rusher from Michigan. Um, in terms of athletic raw ability, he's not Kayvon Thibodeau, but we're talking about polish here. This is one of the most polished edge rushers we've ever seen, I think, in NFL draft. I really think this is a guy that is going to come in and be an immediate day one impact uh, on any team that he cho- so chooses to join. Um, I've seen a lot of comps to Josh Allen, the former Kentucky edge rusher, a guy that, of course, I'm very familiar with. I really like that comp. I think they're very, very similar as prospects and stuff. Um, and I really think in terms of technique and what he can do on the football field, he is really impressive. He just knows how to beat you with his hands. Uh, he knows how to get around you. He does have athletic ability. Like I said, it's not Kayvon Thibodeau. He's not as big, as strong as Kayvon Thibodeau, but he is as fast and he's very agile and able to get him around you. Um, I think he can come up from the three from the two-point stance as a linebacker, as a linebacker, or can go in as a 4-3, so he's very versatile as an edge rusher as well. I do think in terms of day one impact, it's actually probably a better option to Hutchinson over Kayvon Thibodeau because I think in terms of what he's going to do year one, it might be better. Okay, so you said those were three of the four highest-graded people. Is the fourth one Derek Stingley? No. So actually, uh, my – well, Derek Stingley is up there as well. Actually, I didn't even see his grade. Uh, I think Derek Stingley is six. Uh, as of this moment right now, he might be five. Hold on. Stingley. Uh, Stingley. Okay. So Stingley is above Evan Neal as well. So Evan Neal is actually six on my board. Sorry. Uh, and uh, number two is actually the guy I was not talking about yet. It's a completely different prospect. Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame, is my favorite prospect out of this class overall. In terms of who I think is going to be the absolute best coming out of this draft class, I, I'm picking Kyle Hamilton 10 times out of 10. Um, the safety from Notre Dame is just an insane mammoth of a man uh, that can literally do everything. He has the best range I think I've ever seen from a safety. This is the best safety prospect I have ever scouted. I'm not debating it with anyone else. I was very high on Derwin James for a long time. I considered him my favorite safety prospect for a long time. Kyle Hamilton's replacing that mantle. He's my new favorite safety prospect. I think this guy could be elite at the next level. Now, the only problem is he's a safety, right? And that, that's a lot different when it comes to value. Because uh, value-wise, he's not going to be nearly as coveted as an off-tackle or an edge rusher. So he could fall to pick seven or eight. But I'm telling you, whoever grabs him is getting a potentially, in what my opinion, what I will probably predict, defensive player of the year, year one, and a future uh, all-star, uh, without without question. He is going to be a very impactful player. He can play corner for you. He can play slot corner. He can cover you, man a man. Uh, but he's best in playing the deep zone, kind of like a Jesse Bates type guy who he literally gets from sideline to sideline. There was one play that everyone talks about. He came from basically three quarters of the field uh, horizontally to literally get around to intercepting a ball, which was just absolutely nice to see. It It was unhuman-like to see him go around to do that. I'm telling you right now, if Kyle Hamilton's on the field, passing the ball deep is a risk 100% of the time. He is that good of a prospect, and I really like him. The other guy that I have um, up there, Derek Stingley would be my number four prospect overall at this point right now with 94 uh, grade overall, uh, even. 
Uh, I do think Stingley's a very good prospect still. Uh, has fallen off a little bit, I will say. There's a lot of concerns about what he's done the last couple of years. Uh, but in terms of his size, he's got ideal size, absolutely. Uh, his freshman year uh, playing was one of the best, you know, was one of the best cornerback years I've ever seen a, a player play as a freshman. This was a Joe Burrow year where he was going off, of course. Derek Stingley won the cornerback award for best for best cornerback overall, right? And uh, dude completely locked down everyone he, he played against. He was a very, very effective corner. But I do think the last couple of years, he struggled with a couple of injuries. He's had a couple of problems with some other people. Um, he's, he's getting beat sometimes. You know, he, he's not having uh, the elite season he had his freshman year. So I did drop him a little bit because of that. But overall, his freshman year was so impressive. He still is up there. Uh, and the last guy that I haven't really mentioned yet that's above as a Neil at tackle, uh, Ike McQuanu, the offensive tackle from NC State, is my favorite offensive lineman of this draft. Uh, uh, they're, they're very close in grades. I think Icky is 0.4 above Evan Neal at a 93.4. Uh, Evan Neal is a 93.0. Uh, but I definitely think uh, Icky is going to be probably day one a much better offensive line prospect. I do think he's also more versatile in what he can do. He can probably play offensive guard at a very high level. Also could play left tackle, right tackle. It really doesn't matter. Well, I think Evan Neal's mainly just stuck in playing left tackle alone. I think it's probably the biggest thing that separates them in terms of, of talent. Um, you know, Evan Neal can I, – I would say Evan Neal's going to be a better left tackle than Iki Aquanu next level. But I do think Iki can be a better left guard, right guard, and right tackle at the next level. And I think that's what, in my eyes, separates them the most is the fact that I think he can be better day one and also can probably play different positions while Evan Neal's more stuck to one position. All righty, I want to ask you about the Georgia boys of Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean, because those two guys are the really biggest names that I know. I have no idea who Kyle Hamilton is, but I will learn about him over the next couple months from you and from caring about the NFL draft. So where are the Georgia boys kind of hanging out, according to you? Nicobe Dean is my, my linebacker one uh, overall, and he's another guy. Uh, he's the first prospect to be graded over 90 at linebacker since, I believe, Devin White and Devin Bush a couple of years ago, I believe, because uh, I think Micah Parsons was just below that. So I am high on Nicobe Dean, and I am Micah Parsons. We saw how good Micah Parsons was last year. Uh, so I definitely think Nicobe Dean could be an absolute beast at the next level. Um, the only really quail, I think, Person has Nicobe Dean is the size. He's a very small linebacker next level. I definitely think, and most people who have watched him uh, can probably agree that this is it's a very small guy, but he has no problems with strength or speed or anything like that. This dude's strong. This dude knows how to play the game. He is a very, very smart linebacker. Uh, I think one of the biggest things you really pay attention to when it comes to linebackers is their um, is their instincts and seeing like you know what. How they, it's hard to grade instincts, but what I really think of instincts as is knowing what angle to take tackle a, a linebacker or sorry, tackle a running back or a wide receiver or whoever's in front of you with the ball, uh, knowing what gaps to hit at the right time, just having an overall instinct and, and knowing what to do at the right time. And the Kobe D makes almost the exact play that needs to be made every single time he touches the field. He's very, very good at filling in gaps that running backs take. He knows what gaps are going to take and stops him immediately. So he's a very, very effective run stopper. He can really pass the, or he can really rush the pass here at a high level as well. Now he's a great defensive line uh, that really helped him a lot. But once he, once he was blitzing, he was almost getting out free and open, losing any kind of offensive lineman the entire time and making quarterbacks' lives terrible uh, by getting back there and, and sucking him a lie. And he's also a very effective, um, uh, I think, coverage guy. He's not elite in coverage. That's probably his biggest problem in terms of what he actually does in the football field. But 
I do think that once he notices a guy that's going over the middle or sees a guy that's open, he's able to get to the guy and, and lock him up just enough to make it to where a quarterback's not going to be willing to pass to that guy. So he's a very, very effective guy at all three levels of the field. It's just his size that really, really worries me right now in Devin uh, and Nicobe Dean. But I do think in terms of linebackers, he is the best in this class. I have, I believe, graded in the top 10 uh, of this draft as well. He is number 10 uh, for me. But I will say I do think that it's also possible that he may be falls a little bit in this draft due to positional needs. He's going to be as needed as other players. But I, if I'm a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm taking Nicobe Dean in a heartbeat. He is that good of a prospect. The other guy, Jordan Davis, uh, another guy that's a very popular name in terms of Heisman talks. Um, he's my defensive tackle two this year, right behind DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M, who I think is going to be number one. Uh, and the only reason why that's the case is because Jordan Davis is not going to be a pass rusher. You know, he's an obvious big nose tackle. Um, you know, kind of kind of think of a guy like Vita Villa uh, several years back. He's not going to be a guy that you're going to expect to go out and, and, and you know, immediately beat. Uh, a center and it's like a quarterback. But what he's going to do is he's not going to he's not going to let the center get any leverage on him, right? Jordan Davis is going to push the center back every single time and force the quarterback out of the pocket. So even though he's not really credited for having sacks, he's going to cause a lot of sacks to the next level. But I, I okay. do really think, and so in terms of a run stopper, that is where he is insanely good at. He can really stop the run at a high level as well. Um, he's going to basically take out two men on the defensive line in the center of the uh, of the uh, in the center of the trenches. And that's that's really coveted for a lot of NFL teams. First draft pick. So how many teams going into the draft this year do you think are essentially picking like what's supposed to be their franchise cornerstone? Like this is a team maybe in a rebuild or a perpetually rebuilding team or a first year coach or something like that that they're like supposed to this is supposed to be the highest draft pick they have. And so which team like is it really necessary that they hit on this pick this year? Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that the Detroit Lions absolutely have to have a hit on their pick this year, right? Because unlike the Jaguars who have Trevor Lawrence to build, build around, you know, the Lions are looking for players out there that can really just change this team. There is not one elite star player that you think of whenever you think of the, the Detroit Lions. Panay Sue was a great prospect. I think he'd be really good. But if he's your best player, you're not in great shape, right? You need you need someone that can go out there and be better. So I would say the Lions are without question the first team I think of that needs a, a franchise cornerstone. And I would also say the Houston Texans are another team that definitely needs a franchise cornerstone, especially if they're not going to have Deshaun Watson in the future. So those are the two top teams. If they hit on their pick, they I mean, they have to hit on their pick. If they don't, they're going to be in the – in a hole for such a long time, right? Um, and, and I mentioned that maybe, maybe trading down is the option for them. Maybe they can try to trade down and maybe look for a quarterback and maybe look for a wide receiver um, because there are good wide receivers and quarterbacks can be drafted in the middle to late uh, rounds of the draft this year. But at the same time, uh, I do understand that, you know, if, if this is the highest, I mean, if you're having a top three pick, your plan is never to, to never be back here again, obviously. So you want to try to hit on this pick now, make it a great player, and then uh, hopefully continue to get better and better and find a quarterback and maybe just start to win. Uh, so I think those two for sure are the first two teams I think of in terms of that. I will also go out and venture to say the Washington football team is another team that I really think needs to hit on this pick this year. Um, I, I do think that, you know, I, I believe they're picking at nine. I could be wrong on that. Uh, um, 11. At, they are sitting 11, at okay. 11, which is not that much different than nine, but still 11. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's not a great place to be at. And this is a team that I think got a lot of talent on especially on the defensive side of the ball and they're just not living up to it right now 
Um, I, I think if we're talking about the earliest, I can see a team picking uh, quarterback. It's probably going to be the Carolina Panthers at eight, but the next team I would probably select would either be the Denver Broncos or the Washington football team. Uh, those are the two teams I really think of that could really use a quarterback at the next level. I do think if the Washington football team is able to hit on a quarterback that could be their franchise guy, they are all of a sudden one of the two best teams in the NFC East. They're going to be up there with, I think, the Dallas Cowboys in the future in terms of you know how they're going to compete and things like that. So I really think that if they're able to hit on a pick, specifically a quarterback, that could be a big change for them as well. But those are the, really the main three teams I think that absolutely had to hit on a pick if they want to be – they don't want to be back to where they're at next season. They, they have to tell those guys. I love that you mentioned the Lions not having franchise cornerstones because I this got brought up to me recently that I forgot was that the Lions took the lesser offer to put Matthew Stafford in the place he wanted to go. And that lesser offer, now we can look back, was Teddy Bridgewater in the eight pick in last year's draft, which means with the back-to-back picks, they could have had Micah Parsons at pick eight. And that feels like it's a big L for the Detroit Lions now that they took the lesser offer. And in hindsight, 2020, it really didn't work out well for them. Yeah, uh, without question. I mean, if, if, if the Lions were able to land Micah Parsons tied, I mean, we're talking about Micah Parsons was so good. He could have won you an extra two or three games this season. That, that's how good Micah Parsons is, right? I mean, he, he was even he was a rookie of the year. He was. Uh, I believe second voting for defensive player of the year as well. So he was the second best player according to uh, to voters in the in the NFL this year, which is a very very impressive award for a rookie. So you want to talk about an impact guy that could be a building block for a team? Michael Parsons would have been that guy for the Lions, but unfortunately they don't get Michael Parsons. They get Penny Sewell, who's a very good uh, tackle, of course. Oh, they um, would have had both. They would have had both though. Right. They would have had exactly. Sewell at seven and Parsons at eight if they had just taken the Stafford offer from the shitty Carolina Panthers. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and uh, if they were able to get both Parsons and Panay Sewell, all of a sudden you're talking about you know maybe just being a couple of players and a quarterback away from being a true contender in the North, uh, which is a you know for the Lions is is insane to think like hey one player can change that much, but Michael Parsons is that good. He is that impactful. Like, we're talking in the future about this guy being. I don't want to be too uh, over overexcited or stuff like that. We're talking about a guy that could be potentially TJ Watt level impactful for their fourth team in the future with how good he had as, as this season. Um, and, and if the, the Lions had someone like that, like a Michael Parsons, uh, that would have been a complete game changer for them and, and probably would have made it to where I think they'd probably be looking at quarterback this season. Yeah, and this is an interesting point for Detroit is not everyone's rebuild goes exactly the same, but – you know, this is all a very, this is all a crapshoot one, but hindsight can be 2020 on some of this stuff where the most important part is getting the dude and the 49er or the, the lions ended up not getting the guy. And now they're kind of stuck in this purgatory where they, they're hoping Hutchinson turns into a star, but if Hutchinson is as good as Micah Parsons or their 32 pick this year and the Rams first rounder next year doesn't hit into anything, first round picks can sometimes, you know, not work out that same way. So this is an interesting strategy of getting hits at the board or taking the highest possible draft pick. This is all a fascinating strategy that, you know, we talk about every year when the 49ers give up three first round picks to trade up to get Trey Lance or, the Dolphins trade up to get Jalen Waddle, but now they don't have a pick in this year's draft and all of that, st- well, except for the 49ers pick, I guess. All of that ends up becoming very interesting when we play this game in the draft every year and when we do fake trades. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, this, 
I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to go as far as to say that this, you know, makes the Lions have to rebuild another extra whole year, but that definitely impacts uh, how the rebuild is going to go by, you know, not, you know, not being able to take that other trade where they could have gotten, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, who would have been a great bridge quarterback, I think, for them. Uh, that's going to cost a lot less money, of course, as well as the, the take number eights, who could have been, who could have ended up being a great prospect like Michael Parsons. That would have been a huge difference in this team. You'd have more cap space to go out and sign other players. You would have had a better, much better defensive player to build around. That would have that would have done wonders. And the fact that that didn't happen is is terrible. It sucks, but at the same time, I mean. Truly, I do think the Lions, uh, you know, they, they made themselves look good by letting, you know, Matthew Stafford go to the team that uh, he wants to go. Now, I know that that's not always what, what an NFL fan wants. They don't want the good thing to happen. Um, but at the same time, I mean, they're still going to be, I think, in a couple of years, still going to be up there. I mean, this is a very, very competitive NFC North in the next couple of years if the Packers lose Rodgers. I do think they still have a chance. It's just going to be a couple of years down the line. Yeah, this is where competitive advantage comes into play. Like, I'm not going to pretend that the Matthew Stafford trade was astronomical. I mean, it did change the end result, but it wasn't like astronomically landscape changing in the NFL. The Matthew Stafford trade meant the Rams won a championship in a year that the three teams that were better than the Rams all lost in weird upsets. Like, the Rams... The, the Carson Wentz trade was basically the exact same, and the Carson Wentz trade didn't do shit for determining the outcome of the NFL season. So... I don't want to pretend like this was a landscape altering trade in the NFL. It's just, it, it's a big trade that doesn't usually happen. I know when it happened, the only comparison we were like is this is Jay Cutler getting traded for Kyle Orton and two first round picks or <laughs> something like that. There isn't quite that same comparison point for a Matthew Stafford trade like that, but it did. Ultimately, the Lions gave the Rams a slight competitive advantage that in a weird year, helped them win a Super Bowl, along with all the other great pieces they had. Right. I mean, you know, looking in hindsight to this trade, it's definitely considered a a Rams win, but this was a trade that was necessary on both teams' parts, right? Like, I still think this is going to, in, in the long run, definitely improve the Detroit Lions as well. It just is a matter of, you know, how long that takes uh, before we actually start to talk about that. And and honestly, if they hit on their picks, of course, because it's certainly possible that they don't. If they get pick 32 and, and 29 next year, I mean, that's not going to be ideal for them. And they might not have a first-round prospect available to them at that point. So, But it's certainly possible that, you know, if they hit on these couple of picks and, and are able to get a very good prospect here at pick two, um, that they, they would be able to go out and actually be successful uh, in the future for sure. And in the end, if they had just been – if they had made the right pick and picked Micah Parsons at pick eight, they would be able to trade down this year get a quarterback, add additional right. draft picks, exactly. and exactly. it all would have worked They're out so swimming. Much better off. Yeah, yeah of course. So much better off. And they wouldn't have Jared Goff's contract for the next two years. They would have, Teddy Bridgewater exactly. would have been a free agent at the end of the season if they had just sent Matt, if they had done Matthew Stafford dirty and sent him to the hell of the Carolina Panthers, then the Lions might be able to recapture the magic they had 15 years ago when they went 0-16 and, and then drafted four hall of famers have four hall of famers. I mean, I know people want to say Matthew Stafford's a hall of famer, but have four hall of famers gone through the Detroit lions in the past 10 years and they just didn't do shit with it. It's kind yeah, of funny. pretty, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that, that's how unfortunate their, their uh, last couple of seasons have been. Right. I mean, that's just kind of how it goes, I guess. But uh, you know, I mean, they, they've had, they've had stars. They definitely had their fair share of stars out there, but they're just not able to put together enough wins to make it to where it's really, made a difference for them, right? So 
uh, unfortunate, but at the same time, I mean, that's just how it goes sometimes. And you have to make those tough moves, like, you know, trading Matthew Stafford to the, to the Panthers. That would have been a lot of NFL. <laughs> Send him to hell. Send him to yeah. hell instead of being Super Bowl champion in Los Angeles. And we're going to do right by our generational guy instead of sending him to Ben McAdoo. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, props to them for being nice. I mean, I'm sure NFL. Uh, fans enjoyed that. I'm sure they definitely got a lot of good publicity for that. But at the same time, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're not winning football games, why, does it really matter? <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, in fairness, it. they couldn't have known. Like they couldn't have known oh, that yeah. Micah Parsons was going to sit there at eight and would become this amazing. Well, I mean, we could argue. You said Micah Parsons was the best defensive player in the draft. So, you know, maybe he slid to number eight. But, you know, yeah. maybe maybe the Dolphins or the Eagles took him at six and all of a sudden they end up with Jalen Waddle, which isn't terrible, but. If you traded Stafford for Jalen Waddle, that's not exactly the greatest trade-off they could have possibly made. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's more of a hindsight thing, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. there's always a question of like, what would have this team done if they ended up trading the pick instead of taking a bad prospect? All that, I like guess, that's all something that you know NFL fans really cannot fix in the future because they don't know what's going to happen in the future. Obviously, but I mean, looking back on it, it definitely sucks for them. But I'm not giving up on the Lions yet. This is still a draft that can change a lot. If they hit on both these picks. They're in business. They're in really good business this year. Uh, I, I really think these picks need to be used for best player available each. Um, if I'm the Lions, I'm taking the best edge rusher on the board at the next pick. And if, and at pick 31, I'm really looking towards maybe a quarterback if there's a guy there or potentially a game-changing uh, offensive weapon, like a wide receiver that would be really good. Uh, there's a lot of guys I like that are there at pick 31, I think, in the draft this year. I want to play a game with you real quick here because I just thought of this off the top of my head, which is – who are the 15 most valuable players in the NFL? Ooh, okay. Is it is this like a list that's already been made or is it just my opinion? Just your opinion. Who who are the 15 most valuable players in the NFL? Because we can do more. It, it doesn't have to be set at 15, but in my mind, I can only think of 15 before we start to get into the iffy territory of uh, you know, they're valuable, but are they as valuable as the other people we're listing? So okay. I want to see well, where we get here. Top of my head, um, in terms of value, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron, uh, Aaron Rodgers, I would say Lamar Jackson, uh, um, Josh, Allen. Josh, Josh Allen. Allen for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Those four are all easy locks, in my opinion. I think Joe Burrow's there now, too, after what he did this season. I think Justin Herbert's also there as well. Uh, I think both of those two, especially with their being with them being both being so young and on rookie contracts, that makes them so much more valuable teams. Um, I would put both those guys up there, so that's six. Kyler um, Murray? Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. He might be lower. Um <laughs> We'll get to that because, I mean, there's been a lot of recent news and, and rumors about him right now that aren't looking so hot either. Um, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if uh, – TJ Watt for sure is up there. Uh, he's definitely up there. He's not a quarterback, but definitely in that list. Um, I don't know if Aaron Donald's up there. Oh, I, I, would, I would definitely say, put Aaron yeah, Donald Yeah, I would there. say he's there. I would say he's there for sure too. It's um, rare that it's a defensive that tackle, but, yes, I, right. Aaron Donald – Again, Aaron Donald won them the Super Bowl. Like single-handedly, I can point to Aaron Donald's efforts and give them a Super yeah. Bowl title. Yeah, I mean, for sure. It's just it's just the fact that you know D tackle are just not seen normally uh, as valuable as other teams as only saying that. But yeah, uh, that makes sense for sure. 
Um, Derrick Henry. Uh, I could I could put Derrick Henry on this list. I think we could say for now. Say, we don't know. We don't know now. which Henry comes back. Right, and and I would also say Devontae Adams as well for now. Because I do think that you know Rodgers without Adams is a completely another you know guy. I mean, Rodgers is a very valuable player, but if he doesn't have Adams, how good is he? We don't know. Uh, that's a big question mark. And I do think Adams is the best receiver in the in the NFL, which is why I want to put him there. And I actually also want to throw out a very maybe obscure pick. Uh, I don't know if it's too crazy to say, but Debo Samuel maybe. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. We saw uh, San Francisco solely rely on Debo Samuel having the ball in his hands the final five games of the season. That, that, that is the sole reason why they made the playoffs and were even there to win the first one in the first place and get and even compete in the second game. It's so difficult. Debo is so difficult to pin down. Because but- Debo is not a top five wide receiver, and he's not a top five running back, but he does both so good. It's just the fact that if he has a ball in his hands, they're doing something good. Right. Yeah, he is a he is a Pro Bowl All Pro caliber player. I I would not do it, but I'll do it for you because I I would need a larger sample size to do it for Debo. That's but fair. I'll I mean, put it in. Fair. I'll put him on the list. So how many is that right now? That's eleven. That's eleven. That's eleven. I, there's one that you're forgetting right? that I will throw out there. Um, is he on defense? He is on defense. Huh. Um, just for reference, the only defensive players you've named so far, are TJ Watt and Aaron Donald. I would say the next guy I would think is Micah Parsons, probably. Ooh. Or no, sorry, Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett. Yeah. Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett, Garrett. Miles Garrett was yeah, what I was going I was for. I was completely blanking on. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> completely blanking on him. Oh uh, yeah, we also had Derrick Henry. So that's twelve. Twelve with Miles Garrett. Yeah. Um. Man, what Parsons did this season was so impressive by getting the rookie. I don't know how that's going to maintain, right? Like, I don't know if he's that I mean, valuable yet. Plus, the Cowboys I, had other players that did really well in defense as well, so I'm not going to put him there. It's difficult, right? But, like we we weren't ready to say it with Burrow and Herbert last year, and now we are. Which is like yeah. it just took one more season we had to, to be see able to turn. We have to see consistency, right? And I don't mm-hmm. think I've seen consistency. I mean, we have we're all afraid Parsons of Baker Mayfield up. syndrome. We're all exactly. afraid of Baker Mayfield syndrome. Exactly, 100. Um, Man, I wish Prime Russell Wilson was still here. He would definitely be on this list, but not anymore. Um, I disagree with you on that. I personally would put Russell Wilson in this camp as yeah, like the 15th person. But we've talked about this before. You have Russell Wilson like in the tier three, and I have him still as a tier two quarterback. We kind of disagree right. on the Russell Wilson point. Yeah, I mean, I, I know people are probably screaming about this. I mean, Cooper Cup's got to be in the conversation as well after what he did this year. Yeah, I don't know. Later. I don't know how to evaluate Cooper Cup, but NFL people are saying like, yeah, he does things no one else can do. So yeah, yeah. I'll shout out Cooper Cup. Cup. On this list. I mean, just based off what he did this season, I think I'd put him on the list. So uh, I'll include him. Um, there's not really any corner or safety I think of that's so elite that they have Ooh. to be on this list. I would do one. Um, I would put Jalen Ramsey. I would do Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey's good, but Ramsey's not. I mean, we, we just saw it in the Super Bowl. Ramsey's not liable to you know completely shut down a guy like Jamar Chase. So I he mean, did, but he was also number one graded corner by Pro Football Focus for like the third time in five years. 
yeah, I, I just think the case of it being of us not having the elite insane corners what we've had in the past. This is a wide receiver league, right? Like, this is a league mm-hmm. that's run by wide receivers. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's why I, I, I shout out Jalen Ramsey for how great he is because Jalen Ramsey right. is the greatest corner I've ever like. The way people talk about Deion Sanders, I'm surprised we don't talk about Jalen Ramsey in the same way because, like you said, all the rules have changed to make quarterbacks' jobs really difficult. But exactly, he is the great. I mean, I didn't grow. I mean, I I got the back end of like Champ Bailey, but man, this dude is Jalen Ramsey is incredible. But you're right, maybe he's not valuable because of the position he plays. It's a, it's a very valuable position, but no cornerbacks are stopping receivers these days. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. tough. This um, is kind of where I'm starting to see things kind of tail off a little bit. So maybe there's only like 12 to 13 we can name off the top of our heads. Because now I'm going into like Quentin Nelson as a left guard, Trent Williams guard as a left here. tackle. Trent Williams is going to be a guy I was going to throw out there as well. But there's just no way of mon- monitoring how like – you know, I don't think there's 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 an easy way to monitor how a defensive player or how a wide receiver or quarterback affects the game, but I don't think there's a way to affect you know to show how like how much a, a, a dart or a tackle impacts the game, right? Like you just don't know because you know if, if them doing great is us not talking about them, right? <laughs> so <it's laughs> yeah, kind that's of kind of and, and gonna, we don't really know how to do the analysis. Like I bring this up all the time because it's the example that's easiest for me to comprehend is. The Philadelphia Eagles in 2017 had the greatest offensive line ever assembled. They had three Hall of Famers, uh, J- Jason Kelsey, Jason Peters, and Lane Johnson are all Hall of Famers that were all on the same offensive line, at, at, like all still playing at Hall of Fame level good. And because of that, we saw Nick Foles get a championship. Like we can point to that as, and Carson Wentz almost won MVP. Like we can point to that and say, with that, we recognize how important the offensive line was for them to be like a fluky champion that happened to not play the Saints in the NFC championship and happened to beat the Patriots in a coin toss of a Super Bowl, where if Tom Brady doesn't fumble a football, they probably lose. So that's the one thing I can point to and say we know offensive line is important there. And we know Quentin Nelson like immediately makes the Colts offensive line great because of how bad the Colts offensive line was before when they destroyed Andrew Luck's body and committed crimes against humanity against (laughs) Andrew Luck's body. And then now they're automatically great and they can make any running back a 1200 yard rusher. But other than those guys, it's really hard to do offensive line evaluation. We went 10 years not recognizing Trent Williams was the best left tackle in the NFL because he just played for Washington. Like we we don't really right. know how to do offensive line analysis unless it smacks us in the face. Exactly. Um, the other players I would bring up in this conversation, two tight ends, both Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, I think are up there in terms of value uh, for a team. I don't know who would put over the other, but they're both up there. Uh, and I would also say Tyreek Hill because I do think the speed the, the speed threat of Tyreek Hill was such a huge factor in why Mahomes is able to be successful. But at the same time, if Tyreek Hill does not have a Mahomes, what is he, right? That's a big question mark. We don't know that. Um, but I do think that parallel Mahomes, Tyreek Hill is arguably the second most valuable wide receiver in the NFL. So I think those are all three arguable guys Um I don't think Jonathan I will Taylor's throw one yet. more out at you. How about Dak Prescott? 
uh, you know what? I considered Dak Prescott before, uh, and he might be the next one I would put on this list as a quarterback if I had to. Um, because I do, I, I Kyler Murray is a is a fine quarterback. Russell Wilson's a fine quarterback, but and you can make a legitimate argument that you know Dak Prescott is has been better, right? You know he's been better, and I mean he it's, just came yes, off. Uh, yes, and no for me. I would say Dak Prescott has done it for longer, but. If, if I had to get a choice between Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott, I'd choose Kyler Murray, but that's because Kyler Murray was Younger. the greatest high school quarterback in oh. the history of the state of Texas. Yeah. And I'm just banking that's on that overdoing Dak Prescott, which is not fair to Dak Prescott, but it's, I, I get, I believe in Kyler Murray more than a lot of people do. I think, you know, I see. Yeah. I, I don't want to slander Kyler Murray. He was the MVP until week eight right and then he became jimmy garoppolo <laughs> right like what happened new just completely fell apart um, because max so that, that, garcia was trying to block aaron donald in a playoff game <laughs> yeah, fair enough i guess that, i guess that, that's what it is but at the same time i mean what Kyler murray are we getting what russell wilson are we getting we don't know i think Dak prescott like you said has been doing it for longer and is more consistent at it so if i do a quarterback i'd probably say Dak prescott in terms of value is more important to the Cowboys than what Kyler Murray or, um, or, uh, um, who's other quarterback Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is there to their respective teams. I definitely think, uh, I'll take Dak in that case, but. Uh- What's better than having peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for to give you peace of mind while you're online and protect you from all of the threats that you face on the internet. NordVPN is available on all of your computers and devices. No matter the operating system, NordVPN has got you. You can get your exclusive NordVPN deal today by going to nordvpn.com slash believe. Use the link in the description to this episode as well. And use the code believe, B-L-E-A-V. You can pick up 70% off, 70% off your NordVPN plan and you get an additional month for free. It's also 100% risk-free for 30 days when you sign up. That's nordvpn.com slash believe. Outside of that, at that point, I'm blanking. Uh, I think I, the I think point final... still stands there, right? Like we could get close to 15 before we kind of get into iffy territory. I, I would say 12 or 13 is really the cutoff line in my eyes. So since we had a couple repeats in there too, how many teams don't have one of those people? Because who are the teams that did? It was Kansas City had one, uh, the Chargers, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cincinnati. (laughs) That's half of them right there in the AFC West and and AFC North. Um, You know, the the Titans with Derrick Henry possibly. Um, nobody or Josh Allen, Josh Allen, I guess, in the AFC, AFC East, um, Seahawks, maybe Cardinals, maybe 49ers, Rams, definitely Packers, no one in the NFC South, no one in the NFC East, except maybe Dak Prescott, like so many teams are trying to find those guys. And that's kind of why I find it interesting at the top of the NFL draft. It's about 23 player, or 23 teams who don't have that, right? I mean, that's the majority of the, of the league by far, and that, that, that is insane. But, um, you know, is, is there a prospect like that in this class? I don't think so. 
I, I don't think there is. I think Kyle Hamilton has a very good chance of being the best safety in the NFL in two or three years down the line. But do I think that that's going to be enough to make him a absolute MVP cornerstone piece for a team? I don't think so. I don't think Kyle Hamilton's your best player. You're winning the, the Super Bowl, right? Uh, but I do I mean, think let me ask really, you this: really Who's good. the best safety in the NFL right now? <laughs> uh, that's another tough question. I, I would say, <laughs> I would say Derwin James. If I had to pick, ooh, uh, that was a, that was an oddball one. I thought you were going to go with yeah. either Tyran Matthew or Jamal Adams. Ty, Tyron Matthew would be my second. I don't think Jamal Adams is there at all. Oh, um, interesting. I think Jamal Adams is good, but he's, he's a great run support guy, but he's a strong safety. He cannot cover. I mean, Tyron Matthews, at least both Derwin James and Tyron Matthew are a lot more versatile and they can do yeah. different things that you ask them to do. Right. So uh, Ty- Tyron Matthews, the other guy I was considering there. Those are the two that I really thought of. I would probably pick Derwin because he's younger. Um, I think he has more potential. And I think Tyron Matthews already passed his prime. Uh, or if, if not, he's already in his prime. So he's, he's not, he's, his, his great days are, are behind him, I think. Yeah, he's in like uh, year or, nine now or something. Right. So I would probably pick Derwin if I had to choose a safety in this year. Uh, but like I said, I do think Kyle Hamilton, he could, he could be, I mean, I think he is better than Derwin in terms of prospects. I think he's better than Derwin. So uh, if we're talking about how good he's going to be, he, I, I would have predicted him to be the best safety in NFL at one point in his career. Great point, right? There's not a ton of like standout safeties in the NFL anymore, especially in a sport where we throw out the phrase too high safeties all the time. There aren't a ton of great safeties, at least right now in the NFL. I think the only active Hall of Famer at safety would possibly be like Harrison Smith. So there's not a whole lot of options. Well, Eric Weddle's still playing, but Eric Weddle, you know, well, he's probably retired. not going to be. <laughs> yeah, Eric Weddle probably not going to make the Hall of Fame, but Eric Weddle, couple all pros in there. You know, he's got a he's got a case for it, I guess. So this is interesting. Do you not think Tyron Matthews a Hall of Famer? Oh, I guess who made the 2010 All Decade team? Because there's got to be a second safety that made the All Decade team. I just can't think of who it is right now. Yeah, who was the first? Was it Harrison Smith? I'd imagine it's Harrison Smith. I could be wrong, but I'd, I'd assume it was Harrison Smith. Um, I'll, I'll oh, see. I'm not actually, sure. it is. It's Eric Weddle. Eric Weddle is wow. on the safety team, along with Earl Thomas and Eric Berry. Earl Thomas is also, you know, he's retired, of course, but but yeah, Earl he, Thomas he will been. be a Hall of Famer. Earl Thomas well, is yeah, right. make the Hall of Fame. He, he's officially retired now, right? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Possibly. He hasn't played in three years, so I, w- I would guess so. I just assumed that, you know, because he didn't really leave, like he didn't leave a team, just no one signed him. So I, yeah, I'm not too sure. He got cut and then no one signed him after the fact. So uh, does it say he officially retired? Let's see. Um, nope. It does not look like he has officially retired at all. Um uh last notice is that the texans were interested in signing him in 2020 but they did not end up doing so so that's the last notice we have on earl thomas that is crazy that a player that good has fallen off so hard right like i feel like you know even we saw eric well come back from retirement after two years and earl thomas isn't even being signed and he's still active that's insane well he was also only 31 when it happened too he was only exactly. 31 years old when he left I mean, how, how old is Eric Weddle now? 
what 36 30, well, 30 I, don't know. I think he's 38 i think eric weddle's 30, 38 wow <laughs> eric weddle crazy. dude eric weddle was playing for the chargers when i was a child like eric weddle was a childhood hero of mine the fact that he was still playing was kind of stupid at this point he's 20 2007 he was drafted there's actually a great story about this is um eric weddle in college played in like uh, I think it was like the little Caesars bowl or something like that when he was in college and as a corner at Utah, he held Calvin Johnson to two catches for 19 yards, wow. just one-on-one coverage with Calvin Johnson and Calvin Johnson just made the hall of fame last year. <laughs> and Eric Weddle's still out here breaking his shoulder in super bowls for the Rams at 38 years old. Uh, I mean, I've always considered Eric Weddle. I mean, he, he's a hall of famer in my eyes for sure, but I mean, the, the fact that he's considered the second best safety this decade is shocking. I think, again, I hate to say this. I, I love Eric Weddle. I love the play. I, like, I love old Thomas. Love guys like that. But how many great safeties have we had this decade? I feel like it's a very, very short list. I mean, Eric Weddle, I didn't think Eric Weddle was a Hall of Famer. But if he made the all-decade team, he's certainly got a case for making the Hall of Fame. Also, Harrison Smith, not as close to the Hall of Fame as I thought he was. He's got one first-team All-Pro, one second-team All-Pro, and six Pro Bowls. So might not actually be as close to the Hall of Fame as I thought he was. Um, yeah, there's just there's not a lot of great safeties at this point in the NFL. There is no Ed Reed anymore where you can point to and say that is the greatest safety in the league, I guess. But I don't want to long too hard for the past on that one. It's just Earl Thomas and Oh, I forgot about Cam Chancellor, too. Cam Chancellor also yeah. might make the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. How do you not? I mean, like he's already retired, of course. But yeah, uh, that, that's, that's also a very good pick. But I mean, the all-decade the all yeah. team, I think, I'm expecting the new age of safeties to be really good in the future. We're going to have the Jesse Bateses, the Minka Fitzpatricks, the Derwin James, the future Kyle Hamiltons, hopefully. Guys like that, they're going to be great safeties for a long time. And I think we'll find more Hall of Fame safeties in the future. But uh, you know, just, just the fact that we're talking about right now, maybe Tyron Matthew being the most consistent safety of the last decade, possibly. I mean, Eric Weddle up there too, but he, I mean, he's been retired. He's just he's re-retired, of course. Um, you know, I mean, Harrison Smith's been great, but not like you know, Hall of Fame level, maybe. Uh, that's, that's kind of that's kind of crazy. Uh, that is, that I will is really say, crazy. Eric Berry. I forgot how great Eric Berry was. Eric Berry was first team All Pro three times in his uh, prime. He was the best safety in the NFL as well. For sure. Yeah, I, I, free, I mean, but he didn't play as long. He only played like what? I mean, seven years, eight years. He, yeah. didn't, he didn't play very long in the NFL. So, you know, well, yeah, I mean, it was it was so sad. But unfortunately, it was really clear that, you know, after his cancer and everything like that, he was going to be the same player. And you can't expect anyone to be right. I mean, what he went through, like that, that, that cannot be compared to anything any other NFL players going through right now. Dude, um, I just looked up his statistics. Eric Berry. 2011, he got that, I think it was a torn Achilles in his second year. So he missed that year, year with injury and the year with cancer. Eric Berry only played five full seasons in the NFL and he made five Pro Bowls and three first team all pros in five seasons in the NFL. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous how good Eric Berry was at football. If, if I had to give an honorary Hall of Fame, I, honestly, he might get in the Hall of Fame. Just do no, he'll story, get in. You know? If you 
if yeah. you're on the all decade team, eventually you'll get in. I saw um, Tony Baselli got into the Hall of Fame this year, and that's the last person from the all 90s team that hasn't made the Hall of Fame. So Eric Berry will get in eventually. Not sure how long it'll take, but Eric Berry will get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he, he was so good. And I, and I remember just seeing him return to a football field and how excited everyone was for him. That was one of the best moments in football uh, in the last decade in my eyes. I mean, that was such a great moment to watch him return to the football field. I was a big fan of him. Uh, I, know, I know a lot of people who uh, was a big fan of him as well. My, my, actually, my best friend at the time, that was his favorite NFL player was Eric Berry. Uh, and whenever he went out with cancer, stuff like that, he bought an Eric Berry uh, jersey and everything like that. He, you know, I always kind of, you know, that, that's how I really I kind of like, you know, got to know him or got to, you know, know Eric Berry because I was still pretty young, you know, whenever he was in his prime, whenever he was going off every, I guess he first got into the league. But, um, you know, what, what was it when he got cancer? What, 2013, 2012, maybe? I think it was a little later than that. that. I think it was okay. 2016, maybe. It wasn't that okay. long well. All right. Yeah. Okay. So five years ago, that's still like me and what freshman year. Of, well, no, it's about me and, and sophomore year of high school. Right. So I'm still very impressionable uh, as a kid, basically. Right. And then a lot of people are big fans of Eric Berry at the time. I remember watching him to return to that. I, I do remember, I really do remember him, his entrance in the game. Like he started walking backwards and then turned around and ran uh, towards the field. That was one of the coolest moments I remember uh, in NFL history was watching Eric Berry return to the field. And I, I could be wrong, but I believe he had a pretty good game that day as well. Uh, and that was, that was really, really cool to watch. I was such a big Eric Berry fan with my friend because he, he really got me hooked on him for a long time. Yeah, Eric Berry, uh, 2014, by the way, was when Eric Berry got cancer. So 2000, you were closer than I thought. I thought it was slightly less recent or slightly more recent than it was. But Eric Berry also, (laughs) that would be a freshman year. Wow, that makes me feel kind of old. 2014, if I was a freshman in high school, that makes me feel ridiculously old at this point. (laughs) But um, Eric Berry, also the last great Tennessee football player. I think that they may yeah. ever get could kind of be honest, maybe the last they will ever get the last great and, Tennessee volunteer football player. And that's why my friend liked him so much. He was a volunteer fan. We, you know, I, I actually was born in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so was my buddy. Uh, and we grew up and of course I am a fan of Kentucky wildcats, which I actually have a hoodie on right now of them. But uh, yeah, big plot twist, right? Cause I mean, he's not, uh, that's not the team that I, I guess I grew up. I didn't grow up in Knoxville to, uh, to be a Tennessee fan. I actually, my dad was raised in Tennessee, Kentucky, so he's a big Kentucky fan. I moved back to Kentucky, of course, so I became a big Kentucky fan. Um, but I was I was born in Knoxville. He was a big Tennessee Volunteers fan, and I wasn't. But I always respected Eric Berry because I, I, I really thought he was a great player. And as a kid, you really don't care about who plays with, you know, in, with who in college. I love Peyton Manning, too. He was, a, he was a former volunteer, of course, so it really didn't matter to me. I just thought they were great NFL players and liked to watch them. You're telling me that you're a volunteer at heart. You're telling me (laughs) that you grow up rooting for the Tennessee volunteers of Derek Dooley going seven and six every single year and losing music city bowls. You're telling me (laughs) that you grew up watching the magical 2011 Tennessee volunteers team that had Malik Jackson as their starting defensive tackle. You're telling me that, this was your team, the Tennessee Volunteers, who have not been in the top 10 in college football since 1999. That Tennessee <laughs> Volunteers team, that's what you're talking about? Yeah, I, I have no – in no way am I claiming them as, as my uh, my team. I am not a Tennessee fan at all. 
quite the opposite, actually. I, I despise him, especially after this week, to beat Kentucky in basketball. But uh, I'm definitely a Kentucky fan at heart. That's where I was really raised up. You know, I was raised in Kentucky anyway, so I consider Kentucky my main home, of course. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if, I was, if I was born and stayed in Tennessee, there's a very good chance I'd be wearing orange right now while we're talking. Uh, and that is that is pretty whack. Uh, I hate the idea of that happening. So I'm glad yeah. it's the right team. Sports fandoms are weird. If you're born in a different place, you're probably a fan of a different team. And you're excited for the long line of Tennessee Wildcats like Arian Foster, of course, the great Tennessee volunteer. I think I said Tennessee Wildcat. We're just going to ignore that real quick. Tennessee volunteer. <laughs> And uh, remember how we did the um, remember how we did the podcast about the uh, the maroon five and five or the maroon seven and five, Um, and we took Mississippi State from this conference. I'd like to nominate the the Tennessee Volunteers here with the bright orange jerseys because since Eric Berry left, here is what Tennessee has done in football: five and seven, seven and six, six and seven, five and seven, five and seven. Five and seven, seven and six, nine and four, nine and four, finishing 24th in the coaches poll, four and eight, five and seven, eight and five, three and seven, seven and five. That is 15 years of Tennessee Volunteers football with every year except two years with nine wins. They are between four and seven wins every single year for 15 years. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny because I know the exact date, the, the, their best years I know is because of Joshua Dobbs, <laughs> that quarterback. That is, oh, that is the only that's right. That, that Hail Mary against Georgia in the most Georgia, ridiculous yep. college football game I've ever seen. I forgot about that. Oh, I know where I was at whenever that play happened. We were on our way back from the beach in Florida, and I turned it on to watch it in the car with my aunt, who, uh, you know, who likes Tennessee Volunteers. She, of course, grew up in Knoxville. She likes Kentucky as well. She's one of those like odd people who like both teams, right? And so mm-hmm. I flipped it on because I'm cheering, of course, against for Tennessee. I'm cheering for Georgia in this game, and then the Georgia, of course, has the big play that gives them a touchdown to take the lead. And I'm celebrating, and then Joshua Dobbs comes back and hits a hail mary to win the game. That was nuts. That was a nuts game. It's one of the most amazing things ever. That that game. So for people who don't know, I mean, college football has some of these ones all the time. Like there was, I mean, again, Buffalo. It was like Buffalo, Kansas City this year with how the end of the game went, where Georgia on like fourth down with like 10 seconds left to go in the game completes a Hail Mary pass down the sideline to take a three-point lead. And then with like 14 seconds, Tennessee gets the ball to midfield, chucks up a Hail Mary and wins the game. And Butch Jones is like jumping and flailing his arms and it looks like he's going to fall. It's it's what I've watched that game live. It was the CBS game of the week. I don't know why, because I'm looking back now and Tennessee was ranked 25 and Georgia was ranked 12, but it was the most amazing finish ever. Tennessee, that game was absolutely ridiculous. That was such an amazing game. And as, as a Kentucky fan, you just can't help but look back and think like, wow, that was just impressive, right? Like insane to see. Uh, and that, they gave me a lot of respect for Joshua Dobbs. And honestly, like to see Joshua Dobbs had the arm to be able to throw that Hail Mary and actually make it accurate. Uh, I can't remember who was the wide receiver who caught the ball. Uh, it might have been Josh Malone. 
Uh, Josh Bengals. Malone was on those teams. So, wow. You know who else was on those teams? Marquez Callaway. Yes. Yeah. I knew that as well. Marquez Callaway is wide receiver two really for that squad. I, I'll have to look back and, and see it again, but I, it might've been Josh Malone, but I feel like it's someone else for some reason. Um, I'm not too sure. I'll have to look back at it, but yeah, that, that was, I mean, those, those are, those are by far the best seasons Tennessee's had in the past like decade and a half. And it's just funny. That's only because of Joshua Dobbs. And Butch I, I believe if I remember correctly, they lost like the next week in some game. I'm trying to go back and remember here. Yeah. So afterwards they lose to Texas A&M the next week, which I don't remember which Texas A&M team this was, but it was 2016. So, you know, we'll try and figure that one out. This might've been the, um, this might have been the Trevor Knight one. I'm not sure, but this was this is one of the the Texas A&M teams that got Kevin Sumlin fired, uh, and then they lost to Alabama by 39 points, and then they lost at South Carolina the next week. But they were ranked number nine in the country. They were in the top ten for one glorious week. Tennessee was ranked number one in the country, or sorry, number nine in the country during 2000 and. 17 16 2016 it was one magical week and then they also ended the season losing to vanderbilt <laughs> what, a, what a whack turn of events for tennessee i remember everyone thought they were going to be like uh you know like a top maybe top 15 top 10 team after that win too there's a lot of tennessee hype uh after that game but yeah that was that was a lot of fun to uh that was a great game to watch. One of the best college football games I remember of all time, in my opinion, just how that game went. It transpired and went. It was a blast. In fairness to Vanderbilt, this was the one year that Derek Mason made a bowl game that bought him like five more years as a coach. So that one victory against Tennessee bought Derek Mason five years of coaching the absolute dog shit Vanderbilt Commodores, who lost said bowl game to North Carolina State by 40 points. <laughs> 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 that is yeah I, I almost forgot Vanderbilt even made a bowl game then that's crazy but uh the SEC uh, is it, it's really a meme really because I mean outside of the top guys everyone else is just bad <laughs> like, but that's like most that. conferences you know, we, right like so that's fair So I I talked about this with the Pac-12 because I did a story about Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley, which I don't I think that kind of got hidden in all the NFL talk the way like we don't talk about NBA news during football playoffs like Caleb Williams very quietly took like two million dollars to go to USC and was in commercials for beats during the Super Bowl with like him and Kayvon Thibodeau, like very much Caleb Williams is getting relative like probably making more money than Jalen Hurts in terms of like a, a, a comp for NFL second round pick like that's kind of the money that Caleb Williams is making right now and USC ponied it up with you know sometimes establishing LLCs and doing name image and likeness stuff but they basically bought Oklahoma but USC is the only school in the Pac-12 that can do that like even if Kentucky wanted to do it, they don't really have the resources to just buy the Oklahoma football program. USC is one of the few teams that can actually afford to do it. Right. Yeah. And it it should be noted. I mean, Caleb Williams is also just a sophomore. Like this is a guy that could still be the number one overall pick in, in a, any, any year or two, or or, I wouldn't say number one, he's going to be probably number what? Well, it depends on what happens with uh, I guess Bryce young and all that. Uh, well, no, he wouldn't even be eligible then. It'd be the year after that. So, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe CJ Stroud year. I'm not too sure how it's going to work out. But 
Uh, is CJ sure. Stroud I mean, a true freshman? Was CJ Stroud a true no. freshman this year? No, I think he's eligible to go into the draft next year. Okay, so so well. Young and Stroud, right. Young and Stroud are next year, and then Caleb Williams is twenty twenty four. Right. Yeah, okay. but but at the same time, I think I'm pretty sure Stroud is going to be a red shirt. I don't know. If he's, I don't know if he redshirted or something, but I know he's eligible next year to go in. But I mean, I don't know. It just depends on I guess how next year transpires, I guess. But in terms of yeah, class rank, I mean, CJ Stroud is the same. CJ Stroud's the same age as Bryce Young, so they can be the same quarterback class. They're both 2001, the same year as me. I'm old okay. as shit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that, that's. Uh, That'll be interesting. I don't. I really don't know who. Well, the quarterback. It's gonna be a long, time, long process till then, of course. But I mean, you look at Caleb Williams probably being one of the early favorites for being the number one overall pick uh, in the 2024. Was it 2023, four, 24, five? 2024? They're 2024. Yeah. So that, that, that's what we're gonna look at uh, for for Caleb Williams in the future. But the fact that he's only a sophomore and he's making second round money, that is insane. I mean, he's still. I mean, he's still. I mean, he just played his first year in, the, in college football right it's like almost the equivalent of a one and done for a basketball player you know so i mean it's big for caleb williams and big for college football as well if that's going to make it to where you know transferring is becoming a huge deal now you know we're, we're seeing these star players go to where the money's at that's going to be that's going to play into a huge factor it might not be the best thing because it's going to create more di- i think divide in between the top teams and the bottom teams but i do think it'll be interesting to see how it all transpires in the future it will create inequity but the way to fu- the way to fix inequity in college football is Create a structure so that players can get salaries from the school. That's a great way to set up and break the inequity is make it so players can get paid by the schools. And that's something the NCAA will take inequity before they, they start paying players right. in that way. But this is a, this is a step up. Texas A&M now has a top recruiting class because they're, they set up a bunch of LLCs and are now paying a yep. bunch of money to recruits, which is good. It's just that Texas A&M is now going to be good at football and I'm not prepared for this reality to exist. <laughs> yeah. Especially after Jimbo Fisher went on record and is like, it's not because you know, I'm just a good recruiter. You know, <laughs> like, okay. Oh, that was so great. That was so great that Jimbo, like Jimbo does this all with a wink and a smile. Like he's the one coach, like him and Lane Kiffin are the ones who are like, not afraid to be like, you know, we we're doing this based on recruiting wink, 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 you know, we're, right. we're, we're paying players, but we've always been paying players. It's just now we can do, we can say it more. I love that Jimbo's not afraid to kind of put that out there. <laughs> it's like yeah. do all of the play the game with a wink and a smile at how dumb this whole system is. Right. Exactly. I mean, it, and uh, they're going to have a, an abundance of five stars in the future and and I'm um, interested to see which ones actually work out and which ones end up busting because I feel like somehow, some way, we're still going to see Texas A&M, Texas A&M be the fourth best team in the SEC every year. Yeah, uh, the same thing it always is. They're always going to finish eight and four, lose to Alabama, lose to LSU. Uh, normally, I'd say lose to Auburn, but Auburn is falling apart as a program right now. Right, so. Yeah. Uh, who'd they lose to? They lost to someone funny this year. Was it Ole Miss or was it Arkansas? Texas A&M lost to someone really funny this year to finish. Ole Miss was pretty good. It might have been Arkansas. Maybe it was. Uh, I mean, they might have lost to both because I think they finished seven and five. Yeah. I I, I believe Texas A&M finished fifth in their their, division. in the SEC West, right? Am I, am I yeah. saying that? No, you're right. Despite the fact that they 
law or despite the fact that they beat Alabama, I think they finished seven and five, like Texas A&M always does, which is the most amazing. Oh, they were eight and four. In fairness, they were eight Eight and four. four. Okay. So they They, might have been like four. They did. They lost to Arkansas. That's right. I remember that game was on CBS. They lost to Arkansas. That was how Arkansas got into the top 10 for one week before they got smacked by Georgia. Um, (laughs) Lost to Ole Miss. Oh, I forgot they lost to LSU the last week of the season too, when Orgeron got like carried off the field for going six uh, and six. That was a good ending for his career. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure Orgeron's not going to reemerge somewhere else. Clay Helton already got another job. Butch Jones has another job. I'm sure Orgeron will find a, a job somewhere in central Michigan, like Jim McElwain. Sure, he'll find another group of five jobs somewhere. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. There's not very many coaches I would say this about. Maybe Bill Belichick with the Patriots now. Uh, maybe Nick Saban with the with the with Alabama. But I, I just cannot imagine Orgeron going anywhere else other than LSU. <laughs> yeah, because Get he's the swamp monster. He emerged from the Louisiana swamps <laughs> he, and he won a national LSU. championship. Exactly. And also just happened to be the coach who, when he got the the job at LSU, inherited, oh, by the way, the two greatest wide receivers to enter the NFL draft in the last five years happened to be on the exact same team. Easily, yeah. Yeah, that that is insane. And (laughs) also a star quarterback. Also with a star quarterback. Right. I mean, he landed a lot of stars. I don't know if it's due to recruiting. I don't know if it's smart recruiting or what. Maybe he got lucky. I don't know, but uh, I believe he was the one who recruited Jamar Chase, actually. Yeah, uh, he was. I, I believe. So, uh, yeah, that, that is that is really interesting and kind of funny to look back on in hindsight. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, what a, what a great short career Orgeron had. I, I will forever love Ed Orgeron. Uh, I don't know if you saw him, but in the in the uh, the first round of the playoffs between the Bengals and the Raiders, he said, go Bengals, uh, in a, <laughs> to do like, go, the go Tigers thing for the Bengals. Go Bengals. Of oh, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. I don't. I don't think I've ever been as excited to ever hear anything than Ed Orgeron say that live on television. I was ready to run yeah, through a wall. I would say wait, wait until that lawsuit develops at LSU around the sexual harassment before we say that we're going to love Ed Orgeron forever. Because fair enough, fair the, enough. Yeah. Ed Orgeron kind of had a rough way out at LSU, and that might deter him from getting a job somewhere else. Ed Orgeron, future coach at Liberty, once Hugh Freeze takes one of these jobs, is what I'm prepared for. Very, very possible. Yeah. And he's not going to have Malik Willis to help. So it's going to be rough for him. Yeah, I know. I, I thought Hugh Free. I mean, I can't believe we're even talking about it, but I thought Hugh Freeze was going to cash in on one of these jobs in the last hiring cycle. Uh, but no one, no one was willing to sell their soul all the way down for Hugh Freeze. Not even like, I don't know, not even Missouri or, or any of these small time programs were willing to, not even Illinois. Illinois would rather go Brett Bielema than sell their soul for Hugh Freeze. TCU. And TCU, I thought the team I could really go, use Hugh Freeze potentially. They didn't take him either. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, TCU, uh, TCU decided we just want to be we want to be SMU. We're going to hire Sonny Dykes. We're going to go seven and five, and we're going to lose to the teams that are better than us in the new Big Twelve. I just don't understand the college football program being okay with that. I don't know. It's just disappointing. But uh, well, you know, it's I, the I mean, same idea of NFL teams, right? They even if your team sucks, you still make tons of money, or at least you make right. a. a pretty good profit for your team because the television contracts are already guaranteed. And you, you know, in the case of the big 12, you get pick me up by the Oklahoma and Texas value. And now you don't anymore, but you know, even Kentucky gets that gigantic sec television contract and 
you know, we don't think of Kentucky and Vanderbilt necessarily as SEC powerhouses worthy of paying $60 million a year. It's just because the conferences negotiate television deals instead of the individual schools. Yeah, no, I mean, very fair in terms of money. I mean, that, that's keeping athletic programs alive, obviously, right? Uh, at least Vanderbilt's for sure. <laughs> I know a couple well, of Vanderbilt, like, yeah, Vanderbilt decides that we're just going to take that football money and invest it towards baseball. TCU just says we're going to take this football money, just pocket it, not give a shit about being good at football or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's just free money. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, I guess this is how it works. Yeah. But because athletic programs make $50 million a year, even the crappy ones. Even Cal makes like $50 million a year from their athletic program. I mean, that's just that, I mean, that's absurd. I, I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like I, my competitive nature in me would just put all that money back into trying to win next year. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm an athletic guy. I guess I just like to, I like the sports the aspect a lot. I guess I, I understand there's a lot more that goes into college, of course, there's education, things like that. But, uh, you know, after seeing like, I mean, how much money all these guys are making by these big deals and stuff, I don't know why these don't put it straight back into the football program to grow it out more, make more money, be better, you know, I mean, have more people come to your school potentially because of that. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it would just make a lot more sense, but no, you are correct. This is how the system works. That's how the trickle trickle down economics work is that by investing lots of money into a front, into a football program that can be front facing on a national level, you do end up making money. You are correct. It's just some programs don't do that. Some programs are just content to make the money that they're at and they are hugely profitable. I mean, this is the whole case with um, the University of Miami for the past like 15 years is that the program was falling apart a little bit. And ultimately, they ended up deciding, you know, we we make money, we get sponsorships from our donors. And because of that, we're content to be mediocre at football because we already make a lot of money. And a lot of programs kind of make those same types of decisions instead of trying to be the underdogs that compete with USC and Oregon. It's my complaint about the Pac-12 for for four or five years as I've been making fun of the Pac-12 every year for being shit is just because none of the teams want to or choose to compete with USC and Oregon who have infinitely, or I guess two or three times the amount of money that the other teams have. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I just hate that that's going to be how the college football landscape will be in the future i wish it was more of like an even amount like how the nfl is how everyone has increasing cap space and things like that but at the same time i mean i'm not i'm not the commissioner i'm not over any of the i'm not an ad or anything like that so i don't know how much my opinion matters of course but it'd be really cool to see other schools you know get to the point where they're able to get out big nil deals and get big five-star recruits i think ideally in the future you see you see teams you know, put go all in on a big time player and things like that. Big time player, I like how college basketball is slowly starting to become right because the top recruits in basketball are going to their home teams now. We saw Trey Young in Oklahoma. We saw, you know, we, we're seeing Memphis get big recruits. We're seeing, I can I mean, take it a step further schools. for you, which is hire the brothers and fathers as coaches of the, exactly. the top recruits. Oklahoma State got Kate Cunningham that way. Missouri got Michael Porter Jr. that way. Mobley yeah. went to USC because his brother was an assistant coach there. That's Ben Simmons had the connection to Johnny Jones. Like that's, that's the way to go about it is right. you just hire the, someone related to the family. Like uh, 
uh, Larry Brown did this with Danny Manning back in the eighties where he hired his dad as an assistant quality control coach. And his dad was previously working as a truck driver. Um, so it was a workaround for paying players was giving his dad a job with the athletic department. It's, it's a way to do it now in a college basketball that doesn't have blue bloods anymore. Exactly. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful to see, cause I mean, Arch Manning has got a lot of like, you know, mediocre, I mean, not mediocre, but like not as great programs. Like Ole Miss is definitely in the conversation for him. So like that, I'm hoping that maybe he, he picks a, a smaller school and becomes a legend there or something like that. You know, I want to see, I want to see the, uh, the Johnny Menzel type quarterbacks go with the, the okay teams that actually have fun and be great. You know, I thought like that would just be really cool. Well, there's all, there's fewer and fewer great ones than there have ever been in college football. So, yeah, you know, for sure. every now and then it'll happen. I mean, Clemson built a powerhouse because Deshaun Watson decided to go play for them. And he happened to be a generational guy who everyone thought was a four star quarterback. Like it, it can still happen. Clemson pivoted from that to then. Clemson got incredibly lucky that just two of the three greatest quarterbacks in college football in the last four years happened to be born in the state next to them. Um, that right. was kind of part of the luck there, but that's kind of how some of this luck works out. Like Oklahoma got Trey young. Cause Trey young was born in the city near them. Uh, the Bengals didn't get Joe Burrow because of that, but it helped that Joe Burrow was born in the city right next door, right next door to Cincinnati. Like the Ohio teams are just the strategy is have our star players be born near where we play sports. And that's how we build winners. So sometimes that's just how the luck is going to work out. Arch Manning is only considering Ole Miss, I assume, because Ole Miss is not a joke of a program. And because his grandpa and his uncle are, are the Ole Miss football program. I would assume right. that's the only reason why he's considering that place. And sometimes that's just how the, how the luck breaks out. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I hope that continues to be the case is what I'm trying to say for the future as well. Like I hope we see more of that. I hope it isn't just players thinking like, Hey, I'm gonna get $2 million at this one school. So I'm going to go here. Right. And it's going to be, it's going to be them making that much money to go out and play for Georgia or Alabama every season or a USC type team. You know, I want to see maybe a team like, uh, I don't know, like Ole Miss, like I said, TCU, maybe a Texas team or something like that, go out there and like, hey, we're going to go all in on this great quarterback that we want to have and see what he can do instead of settling for a four-star. You know, I want to I go out there. That's why I'm such a big fan of like how Tennessee has Hendon Hooker now. I think Hendon Hooker can be a very fun talent for the future. He's going to be a great quarterback in the next couple of years. I love Will Levis with Kentucky, of course. Uh, it's the two teams I keep talking about, Tennessee and Kentucky. Uh, I think both of them have great quarterbacks. It's going to be really fun to watch in the future. They're getting big NIL deals and are having a lot of fun in the respective colleges. I want to see more of that in the NFL. I want to see more balance and more, more upsets, more fun. I don't want to see Alabama every season. <laughs> Well, I think that this still happens. I think that um, most of the quarterbacks in the NFL now came from obscure schools like Josh Allen, Wyoming, Tack Prescott is what you're talking about, where Mississippi State got to number one in the country with him. I think it's just there are so few transcendent quarterbacks that the odds of them falling through the cracks are so minimal. I feel like in some of these cases, because Clemson was never a powerhouse program, but they happened to get back-to-back generational quarterbacks. And because of that, they built a dynasty. Yep. I think exactly. Clemson, you know, for luck or Dabo seeing the possibility in Deshaun Watson or also Georgia just choosing not to recruit Deshaun Watson. That's also a thing that happened. Like all of that 
leads to Clemson building a six-year dynasty that I think is over now. I think the run for Clemson is done because the talent well dried up. But you see, you see it's like possible to have these great exceptions. It's just hard because there's so few great quarterbacks at this point. And we're seeing like they go to Oklahoma, they go to Alabama. And now you know, Ohio State with C.J. Stroud happened to get the really great ones for this generation. You know, throw Kenny Pickett a bone. Kenny Pickett had a pretty good career <laughs> at Pitt. You know, not, yeah. not going to disrespect him too much. But yeah, a lot of a lot of them, th- this cycle ended up at the traditional powerhouses because it's really hard for the generationally great guys to fall through the cracks when there's so much invested in recruiting on a national level it's just really hard to find generational quarterbacks in weird places. I'll point to Oregon. How did Oregon get Justin Herbert? How did Willie Taggart get Justin Herbert? He was literally born 10 minutes away from the stadium. Went to to Eugene high school. Like sometimes you just get lucky in that way and weird teams or at least less normal teams than the Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, Georgia powerhouses end up with, generationally great quarterbacks it's it's more rare but i think still possible yeah yeah no and i'm, I'm hopeful that continues to be the case at least um because i i do think um the, the more we have that i think the more i think the more overall engagement you'll have in college football right i mean it's always nice to have like the blue bloods of, of basketball the blue bloods of, of football be good of course i think it's always good for the sport in terms of national recognition and stuff but fans of teams like i mean i come from a, i come from a state right right now in west virginia where i mean it's or Kentucky slash west virginia kind of both uh where I mean, the best football school around here where i live is is i mean marshall university west virginia i mean no one's really excited about those teams at all right like, no one really cares but it'd be really cool to have like a hometown hero or someone like that's really good somehow come to west virginia and, and be a great player make everyone here excited i think overall increases viewership increases you know I, I feel like as a whole for college football it'd be best if we get more of that in different places that don't have the popular uh you know college football um you know powerhouse places like alabama and georgia places like that of course Yes, and you were so close. You were just born 20 years too late because you had Randy Moss. He was born in West Virginia, stayed in West Virginia. You were so close, so close to getting that one. It was just you were just born slightly too late to have witnessed it happen for you 20 years ago. And everyone here talks about Randy Moss. Everyone here. He is the most, I think he's everyone's favorite player in this region by far, easily. Yeah, I seems totally fair. I mean, Marshall had what Chad Pennington. Yeah, West Virginia hasn't really had great football for ever. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time West Virginia? West Virginia was in the Big East. I think they made an Orange Bowl one time, but they haven't really done anything. Tavon Austin's a big West Virginia name in terms of huh? like great players. Tavon Austin. It's the biggest oh, yeah. name I can think yeah, of. Yeah, Tavon Austin was a big deal. And I kind of forgot about him because his NFL career wasn't what it, we thought it would be, but he was a big deal when he was coming out. Um, yeah. yeah, they made a, they won the Orange Bowl actually in 2011. So it was 10 years ago. They were, you know, they were still pretty good. The, Bill Stewart, Rich Rodriguez. <laughs> the, <laughs> Not a not a great run of success for for West Virginia, but West Virginia. Oh, who who was on the 2005 West Virginia team? That seemed, that team was pretty good back when the Big East had clout. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember who was who was good back then. 
maybe not. I don't know. I don't. I don't really recognize any of the names on here, but you know, there was there was something there. <laughs> Brandon yeah, Tate, I, mean, I, I guess. Brandon Tate was on the. Well, I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Brandon Tate played for West Virginia. It looks like. Unless that's a different Brandon Tate. Could be a different Brandon Tate. Talking about the wide receiver? Yeah, it says wide receiver on here, but yeah. Yeah, could could be about. a different one. It might, might be the right one. I'm not too sure. But uh yeah, I mean uh, no, nope, he went to North of... Carolina. This is a different Brandon Tate. <laughs> that's tough. Um yeah, I think it's just a matter of, you know, having these I, I wish there was more talent spread out around the region and stuff like that, right? I mean, we have a lot of great players from Florida, a lot of great players from Georgia, Ohio, uh, you know, North Carolina's got a, quite a few, uh, a lot out West where California is, you know, places like that. Arizona's a big one. You know, there's a lot of places that have such a high talent and teams around there are just easily able to pick them off, but the teams in the center who don't really have a lot of places to go to have to, for example, Kentucky. Kentucky has to get almost all their prospects from Ohio, right? It's like the only mm-hmm. way they can go out and get prospects to get up from Ohio. They might be lucky and land a couple of transfers and stuff like that based off of their success. But Lynn Bowden came from Ohio. Benny Snell, I believe, came from Ohio. You got like uh, Josh Allen, who I think came from Ohio as well. A lot of the great players they have all came from Ohio because they just <laughs> had to get what they can get and, and find Ohio players. So I hope that there's a chance that where we see more talent spread out across the region, more people go out and get the players that are you know in that region, and we just see a more competitive league as a whole. Because I, I love the way the NFL is formed in terms of how um, everyone has an even playing field and things like that. I think it's great. It's, uh, it feels like, you know, in the NBA and things like that, it tends to be favored a lot more towards teams like the Celtics and the Lakers have had great success in the past. While, I mean, you, you know, Lakers had pretty, pretty rough seasons as well. But, you know, you, you can see the Celtics. The Celtics top. haven't been that great in the last 35 years. I'll throw that out there, too. Boston Celtics ain't yeah. been that great. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But it feels like the teams who are on the top, normally stay on the top for quite a while, right? Uh, and, and the teams that are rebuilding take a lot longer to rebuild. Like, when's the last time we saw the Charlotte Hornets or the Minnesota Timberwolves be good? It's never. Uh, yeah, they're know, playing minor like league that. basketball, essentially. Right, yeah. And and so, like, we, there's not as much continuity, and uh, and we don't see teams be get better and get worse. But I feel like in the NFL, it's, it's really often. Like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, talking about how one team rises, the other team drops down. We see that pretty often, at least once a year, even twice a year, we see teams go off. And I mean, there are dynasties. We saw the Patriots dynasty, of course, but it takes a special player like a Mahomes or a Brady to really make that, right? It takes a LeBron James to make that in the NBA. So I hope that, um, you know, maybe, maybe in college football, we, we, we see that it kind of in a way as well. I know it's a lot different, but now that players are making money, maybe, like you said, maybe the colleges pay the players' contracts and stuff like that. Maybe we get more of an even playing field among the entirety of college football. That is how it happens, is by making it collectively bargained and then the people in power instituting a salary cap. That is how you get parity in the sport, is by paying the players and letting them collectively bargain and actually make money from the university. We're not there yet, but in our lifetime, I think it's going to happen. I'm not sure when, but I think in our lifetime, we're going to start to see that. I hope we do, because that would be a lot of fun to watch. Now, the only problem is how many, you know, you're playing a lot of players, right? So how much are they going to make probably as a whole, a little bit less than what some star players are making. But uh, I definitely think that that could be a great thing for college football in the in the future for sure. You make it like make it like the NFL, free market, baby, free market. You can sign with people, you sure. can sign contracts with teams, 
free market. Let let people make what they can get and what the university says they're worth. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we get to that place eventually. This is a an idealistic push, and you got to buck up against a lot of power structures in college football. But we're slowly seeing that structure dismantled. Name, image, and likeness is a first step. You know, Caleb Williams being able to make two point five million dollars basically to go to USC is a step in the right direction. You just gotta keep moving forward ever so slightly so that players can get paid. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I, I hope that that stays the case for, uh, I hope it continues to, to go that way for the future, for sure. All right. Before we head out here, cause this was a, this was an hour and a halfer, which I love. Um, <laughs> any Kyler Murray thoughts, Russell Wilson thoughts, any uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, if you really want to get in there, <laughs> any thoughts <laughs> on the, the, the storylines of the NFL that are going to maybe be solved by the time people are listening to this podcast or by the time we talk to you next week. Yeah. Um, I really don't understand the Kyler Murray drama at all, especially hearing that he would not play at the end of the game. I mean, that was his fault. They were losing. He's been terrible this second half of the season. He needs to fix it, or we're looking at the Cardinals and be looking for other options. I, I think it's a legitimate worry right now, but if I'm the Cardinals, I'm still looking at him to be a franchise quarterback at least the next couple of years, hopefully. So we'll see how that works out. I think it's mainly a thing that we'll talk about mostly next year. Um, Russell Wilson, I, I, I again, it, it's always the same report with him. He's looking for other options and things like that. I don't know if he ends up going anywhere else. I would lean towards not him going anywhere else, but uh, I do think that his his uh, elite run as a quarterback's drying up very quickly. And if he wants to win a Super Bowl, he has to go find somewhere else to do it. Uh, so we'll see if they may end up making a move there. Uh, last but not least, um, if San Francisco does not trade Jimmy Garoppolo, it will be a tragedy to the entire play, uh, to the entire city of San Francisco. I hope for the sake <laughs> of their fans that they do that. He needs to be gone. Trey Lance needs to be the quarterback. Uh, and get the ball to Debo Samuel every single play. He's on my fantasy team. That's all that. <laughs> Uh, what a great end there. Yeah. Uh, Tampa Bay is trying to get in this mix. And that's something that I feel like lost in the whole Tom Brady thing is like, shit, Tampa Bay has no quarterback and no path Blaine to Gabbert. acquiring a quarterback. That's a, hey, that's Super Bowl champion Blaine Gabbert to you. <laughs> yeah. Blaine freaking Gabbert, right? I mean, it's him or Kyle Trask, one or the other. No, it's going to be Mitchell Trubisky, of course. Oh, I'm going to give it. him the keys. <laughs> that, that'll that'll be something to watch for sure. Yeah, we're gonna give him the keys to the Ferrari the same way that they gave it to Stetson Bennett in college football this year. We're just gonna give Mitchell Trubisky the keys to the Tampa Bay Buccaneer Ferrari. Listen, I've been saying it for a while. I would not mind a Jameis Winston reunion. I think that'd be a lot of fun too. That'd be so. Bruce Arians hates him. Bruce Arians yeah. actively hates Jameis Winston. But it would be funny. It would be funny. And, he, and there's great receivers there, right? So he already has a connection to Mike Evans. It'd be cool to see that. Oh, excuse me. Carson Wentz. That's all I'm going to say. Carson Wentz, yes. Tampa Bay. That would make a lot of sense, too. That would Which be stupid. Who does Indy go for? Uh, I don't know, but it, there was a report this week that Indy's just going to up and cut Carson Wentz to save $13 million. I was super confused by that. The, you know, Indy's in very likely to move off of Wentz before the March 19th deadline when like $13 million become fully guaranteed for him. They don't have a draft pick in the first round this year, I believe, right? No, I don't, I don't understand it. I, I, 
I they they just are saying we'll save the money and figure out the quarterback later. It's like if if we're gonna do <laughs> interchangeable quarterbacks, then we might as well pay like dirt cheap for them instead of paying Carson Wentz twenty eight million dollars next year. Yeah, that that'd be. I mean, I mean, it, I I see where they're coming from, but that would be pretty stupid, especially considering that this is a team that could probably contend next year. Uh, yeah, I know, there. and I was I was confused by it as well. Unless they're gonna trade for Garoppolo, but they don't know that they can do that. That's why I was so confused that they said. I think it was Chris Mortensen. Maybe he's like more likely than not. The Colts are going to just get rid of Carson Wentz and not pay him the, I think it would be like a 15 million dead cap hit no matter what, but they would pay him 29 million next year. So I guess they would save like $14 million by getting rid of him. I mean, if they can trade for Kirk Cousins, then maybe, maybe it works. But no, like no one, no one can trade for Kirk 20. Cousins this year. It's going to be next year. <laughs> yeah. Kirk Cousins yeah. has like a thirty-five million dead cap hit this year. It'll be Fair. ten million yeah. next year. So, Kirk, right. Kevin O'Connell, I mean, who I have no idea who he is. Kevin O'Connell's going to get one year of Kirk Cousins before he gets to pick his own quarterback. Yeah, and we'll see how that works out. I don't know. It's going to be a fun QB carousel. Though. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be a a lot of topics to talk about there because I think a lot of quarterbacks could be on the move. Yeah, maybe we'll play another game of QB roulette as long as no one gets traded here in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm down. I'm down to do it.